The Line Out with Lewis Stewart on Rock Sport Radio. Brought to you by Motorpoint Glasgow. Just get the ball over the post at Motorpoint Glasgow's Conversion Challenge to win two tickets to the Six Nations. Find them just two minutes from Junction 3 off the M74. Love music. Live sport. The Line Out with Lewis Stewart on Rock Sport Radio. Wednesday evening, Rock Sport Radio. That means it's time for me, Lewis Stewart, with this week's edition of The Lineout, your guide to everything that's going on in Scottish rugby at the end of what has been a reasonably depressing week for the game, this side of the border, with the team going out of the World Cup. So, for the last time, I can say to you, konnichiwa and welcome to Japan. I will be home by the time the next programme goes out. I was expecting to be here for at least another week, but as we all know, Scotland went and lost their game to Japan at the weekend and got knocked out of the tournament as a result, having beaten only Samoa and Russia and lost to Ireland and Japan. Japan go through as the pool winners and play South Africa, who finished second in Pool B, while Ireland finished second and play New Zealand, the winners of Pool A. A. And just in case you're interested, across the way, in the other half of the draw, England play Australia and Wales play France. Both of those games down in the south of Japan in a place called Oita. Even with the magic of the Shinkansen, the bullet train that links the whole island together it's still a mighty journey from there to the Tokyo Stadium where the other two games are going to be played over the weekend. Here all the talk is about Japan's historic achievement in reaching the quarterfinals for the first time. They set out on this project more than 10 years ago when they were told that they were going to get this World Cup and you saw some flourishing of the side four years ago in England when they beat South Africa and they won three out of their four games going down only to Scotland and only failing to make the quarterfinals that time because they didn't get enough bonus points. This time they took no chances with that. They won all four of their pool games and deservedly go into the quarterfinals as one of the few unbeaten teams in the tournament. An analysis is slightly complicated by the fact that a number of sides in including England, New Zealand, France, didn't actually play their final pool games and are awarded nil all draws as a result. The contentious one there being the one between New Zealand and Italy where Italy technically had the chance of reaching the quarterfinals if they had won that game but I think more importantly as Sergio Parise complained bitterly afterwards, it was a match that he and Leonardo Giraldini, the hooker in particular, had been focusing on as their swan song to their international careers and they were deprived of it by the weather arrival of Typhoon Hagibis and the decision of the World Cup organisers that they couldn't move or reschedule any of the games which promptly became a highly controversial topic when Scotland brought in a lawyer who told them that there was actually some flexibility in the regulations and the games could be shifted to a different time if there was some unpredictable event, and one would assume a typhoon would come under that heading, that made it impossible for games to go ahead on the scheduled days. World Rugby, who have said this just came at the worst possible time on the busiest weekend of the World Cup and they would have had to move eight games if they were going to adjust the timetable 
for Typhoon Hagibis and it was simply not possible to find enough free venues to move that number of games plus the associated hardware that goes with the team travelling plus of course the hundreds of thousands of fans who would have demanded to go and see those games so they were happy enough to call off England, France and New Zealand, Italy on the Saturday when they were doing playing in the absolute teeth of the typhoon and to suspend judgment on Canada, Namibia up in Kamishi and the Scotland-Japan game in Yokohama. As it transpired, the Yokohama Stadium, which was built with this kind of event in mind and with lots and lots of safety features to make it possible, went ahead and staged the game anyway and Scotland started well. They had the purple patch in the second half when they scored two tries to add to the one they got in the opening flourish but in between they were comprehensively outplayed by a vibrant and exciting Japanese side that looked every bit as though they are good enough to challenge South Africa when they play at the weekend. The fallout though from the fuss ahead of the game is that Scotland are now the subject of a disputes inquiry within World Rugby with the expectation that they are going to be charged with bringing the game into disrepute with no firm idea what punishment could be levied on them. The probability most people think is that there's likely to be a fine if they are found guilty and the really draconian possibility would be that they could be docked points in the World Cup. They finished six points ahead of Samoa and if they were to be docked eight points then they would have to qualify for the next tournament which would cause all sorts of disruption within their schedule and lots and lots of mayhem for a country that doesn't really want to play that many games against absolute minnows and certainly doesn't want to play in the European Nations Cup which is the qualifying process for most of the European sides early days on that and it is quite possible in fact that they might just manage to get off with it because Mark Dodson in the briefing that World Rugby are complaining about was reasonably careful not to try to antagonize World Rugby too much and the truly inflammatory comments about suing World Rugby seeking an injunction and all the rest of it came from an anonymous source back in the UK and not from any in Japan which at least offers him up the possibility of plausible deniability even if he knows perfectly well where the comments came from and were he for example to have actually authorized them hats off to the Japanese though for actually going ahead and playing the game it was a considerable tribute to the engineers who designed the Yokohama International Stadium in a manner that allowed it to cope with four months worth of rainfall arriving inside 24 hours and to the work of the local organizers some of whom slept inside the stadium and some in a nearby hotel to make sure that they were able to get to the ground within minutes of the typhoon actually clearing the area so that they could get to work on preparing it for the next day it was a herculean effort and you can only admire the dedication that they showed. Now just to clear one thing up, I have seen comments floating around social media which suggest that because the game was staged without any apparent disruption that the typhoon couldn't have been as bad as people had claimed it was. Well, let me assure you it was every bit as bad as people said. I was lucky I was in Yokohama which escaped the worst of it but within about five miles of the hotel I was in I could see there was considerable swathes of damage on the other side of the Tokyo Bay in Chiba there were houses that had their roofs ripped off there were cars that were slammed into trees the area around
around the Yokohama Stadium was under about six foot of water at the early hours of the morning before the game was played and as I record this the death toll has recently set a new record for typhoon deaths in the modern age at 68 and it is going to go higher because there are still people missing and you can be pretty certain that unfortunately some of those are going to turn out to have died as well so it was a major major event at one point in the proceedings about 400,000 homes had lost power hundreds of thousands of homes lost water supplies the game in Kamishi in the end was called off not because people inspected the ground and found that it was unfit for play but because nobody could actually get to the ground in order to inspect it because of the landslides that had damaged the road on the way in and the flooding around it was still so bad and so deep that it was impossible to get through to the stadium so I hope that nobody will take seriously the idea this was anything less than a major event and play the proper tribute to both the Japanese who lived through it and also to the stadium staff and their helpers who got the game on and also I think it is worth pointing out that Jamie Joseph the Japan coach did point out afterwards that trying to lift the mood of mourning around the country and lift people's morale was specifically something that the team talked about and was one of their huge motivations in turning in the kind of performance that they did. For Scotland, though, there are questions that are going to remain, and top of the pile is undoubtedly the future of Gregor Townsend, the head coach, who has seen the team achieve some pretty remarkable results, but has also overseen some embarrassing defeats, Fiji and the USA spring to mind, and has now become the second coach in Scotland's history to lead the team to exit the World Cup at the pool stage. Afterwards, Gregor was asked about his own thoughts on whether he would stay on. And it's not, it wouldn't be my decision anyway. I think I wouldn't be someone that would not go to the end of the contract uh, if, if they want to change the coach and obviously it's someone else's decision. Um, but I believe that we have the makings of, of a very good team that can compete with the best teams in the world. Now we've, we've not done that um, well enough in this tournament. Uh, we've done that other times and we've got to work to make it better. We're always, I don't know, running to just keep up with those teams, but I, I really believe in the group of players that we can be the best teams in the world. And certainly Gregor Townsend is right. When Scotland are playing at their best and absolutely firing, then they do look like a good team. And they did look like a good team in patches of the game against Japan. The problem is that they are maddeningly inconsistent. The most dramatic example of that, I suppose, was the game in Twickenham early this year when they were absolutely awful for the first half, absolutely unstoppably brilliant for most of the second half and ended out coming away with a draw in a game that they could and probably should have won but they didn't manage to sustain the pressure right to the 80th minute to a certain extent we saw another example of that in this game where Scotland started magnificently scored the first points went off the boil conceded 28 points and then fought back they put themselves within touching distance of an improbable win. It was frustrating in every possible way and needless to say afterwards emotions were pretty raw as coaches and players absorbed the idea that they had made history for all the wrong reasons and it is hard I suppose to know whether it is worse if you're in that position to experience what they did four years ago when they came within touching distance of an improbable semi-final or this time when they were realistically outplayed played for most of the game. It was still hard to take as Townsend accepted. I feel that coaches they don't have the ownership on how you, how you should be feeling. That's the players. Like they put the effort in. They, the, they put in more than just the effort that you see tonight. They put the effort over four months. Some of them 
I'd imagine they're thinking this is the last time they play in the World Cup. Some of them might be the last time they play for Scotland, so you can only feel for them. Like it's, no, no one wanted to be here in this situation. So they, it isn't great, um, but they're a mature group in terms of emotionally mature. They're, they're a tight group, and there's no like, there's no uh, now analysis of performance with this group on over the next few days. We, we've got weeks to analyse why we didn't get to our best level and why we didn't get to play a knockout game. For Townsend himself, it also has got to sow a certain amount of doubt about his own coaching credentials. Certainly it has out in the world where people are gossiping and talking about what he has achieved and what he hasn't achieved. But it may even have sowed a few doubts in his own mind. It's, it's too... I don't know, it's too easy to come up with an answer to that. I would say no, um, but I know I've got a few weeks of reflecting everything, my, my own performance, the, from what you say to the team, to how you prepare it, how you select it, to, to tactics. But my initial thoughts are the you, the first 10 minutes or first 15 minutes of, of how the team plays is a reflection of where, you, where you've got them in terms of the mindset. Uh, and we were, we were really good in that first 10-15 minutes and we knew where to take the energy away from from Japan and I thought we were doing that. We got turnovers in defence, we got a penalty for a side entry and then we, we looked good when we got the ball into their half and scored a try. The, the hugely frustrating thing after that is we never really got another opportunity or when we did we got a scrum penalty and our fins kicked to Darcy, it was judged as a knock on. So we leave 35 minutes going with 14-7 down here and we look we feel good, feel good about how the team are playing. The, the try just before half time obviously was a real blow, uh, and the tire try just after time was a, was a, was a real blow. And so from that perspective, you feel really disappointed that the team are 21 points down. You go, that's this isn't us. And I have to say, Japan are a very good team. So credit to them for getting that 21-point lead. Then to see the team come back and get to within seven with 22 minutes to go, you go, what a brilliant bunch of players we have. Like their mindset, their when the crowd were even louder and Japan had their tails up to actually repel them a couple of times, get those two tries. So, so ultimately, I'm most disappointed with the last 15, 20 minutes. Um, yeah, rather than the 15 minutes in the, the first half, where we we obviously give us give ourselves a really tough position to come back from. I'm more disappointed with how we didn't win. I felt the momentum had swung by the efforts of the players, and we should have kicked on. And that was when we were at least accurate in attack. And that's that's on me. That's my area. An honest assessment from Gregor Townsend there, taking responsibility for the team's inability in the final quarter to rescue a game where they'd given themselves a mountain to climb. The other thing that he has previously accepted responsibility for, and again quite rightly, is that right back at the beginning of the competition, it feels like a long time ago, but it's not really, when the team came out against Ireland and just absolutely flat as they could possibly come. They talked all week about how well they were training and how well things were going and how they could beat Ireland. And when push came to shove, they were passive, they were tame, they were everything that you should never be if you intend to win an international rugby match. And Ireland duly took full advantage with a bonus point win that set Scotland's campaign off on exactly the wrong note and left them with a huge mountain to climb. By the time they got to the final game, a win on its own wouldn't have been enough. They needed to get four match points more than Japan. So by the time Japan had picked up a scoring bonus point, not only did Scotland then need to go on and win the game, but they needed to win it by more than eight points to stop Japan picking up a second losing bonus point, which would have been enough to cancel out anything that Scotland got from the match. It was that sort of hurdle that they had set themselves. 
Although there was one bright note in the competition, and it is difficult to judge exactly how bright it was, but that was undoubtedly the performance of the team against Russia, where he put out a second string that won by 61 points to nil and looked pretty thoroughly exciting in the process. There was lots of vibrant rugby. If you tuned in to last week's programme, you'll have heard me talking about the exploits of Adam Hastings in that match when his 26-point haul in the 80 minutes was enough to move him up to third place on the individual scoring list for the pool stage of the World Cup. Not bad considering that that was the only match out of the four that he actually played in. The performance may have been pretty spectacular and memorable, but it was not enough to get him into the 23 to face Japan a few days later. And you could certainly argue the case that that is one of the criticisms of Townsend during this tournament, that despite his reputation for gambling with selections, for adventurous selections, when it came down to the big push in the World Cup, he was simply too conservative. He stuck with the old guard, he stuck with the tried and tested, and in the end, those were the players that didn't have what it took to deliver the kind of performances that he was looking for. And the people who did stand up were that younger brigade who possibly should have been given more of a shout earlier in the tournament instead of being left in the game against Russia and then on the bench against Japan, by which point they were coming in, looking at the team, facing a 21-point deficit and trying to rescue it, which was always going to be a tall ask. And an interesting aside earlier, when the tournament organisers named a best 15 from the 12 teams that have gone home, rules being that they are only allowed to pick two players from each team, and Finn Russell and Johnny Gray were the two that they picked from Scotland, pointing out that for all the criticism that he has got, some of it from me, and I think he deserved some of it, though also some has been over the top. And he earned his selection on the basis of being third in terms of territory gained, 126 metres, second most defenders beaten on 11, third on clean breaks with four, and topping the count for offloads with six. So his position never really much in doubt in that side. And then you look at Johnny Gray, whose 28 tackles against Japan was the most by a single player in a single game, and he finished third on the tackle count with 55. He also put in 14 passes for a lock, that is a huge amount, and was third ranked in his position for offloads and try assists. So it was not just that typical Johnny Gray grind and hit people, there was a lot of variation to his game, and he does appear to be learning how to add an extra layer to the attributes that he's always had in terms of work rate and dedication. Not that any of that was of the slightest comfort to the player himself. Um, yeah, it's, it's very disappointing now, it's, it's pretty emotional. We had a lot of confidence and belief going into this game, um, especially after the, the first game against Ireland. We were very disappointing there. We played poor, but after the, the Samoa game and the, the Russia game, um, we put in some good performances and built, built a lot of momentum going forward. So um, we were confident going into this game, and it was a very exciting contest. And um, there was some atmosphere here um, playing the host nation, but um, ultimately very disappointing. Yeah, up front, um, it's a piece. Uh, it was difficult for us, but um, I think we spoke about it and got it sorted. Um, um, after half time we made some fixes there but um, we started off well um, we scored um, the first 10 minutes and then we conceded too many tries um, before half time and when you're playing against a top class side like Japan um, it's always going to be hard to chase the game from there What was the mood in the changing room compared with four years ago when you had that call in the, in the Australia game and that was obviously devastating as well does this one feel worse in a way? <sighs> it's 
it's a hard question to answer. Such a low, low feeling right now, Lewis. Um, it's hard to, it's hard to answer. It's just, yeah, yeah, I'm a lot of effort, a lot of work, and like I said, the belief is there and the confidence is there. And, uh, even with the short turnaround, we were well prepared and fully confident going into this game. We knew how hard it was going to be playing the host nation and how well they've been playing and the results they've had, um, the way they've been playing. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to put in words how low it is just now. And, but yeah, we have to stay close to stay close as a group. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very disappointing. You look at this, you've got uh, Six Nations coming up. Is it going to be possible to bounce back and actually show what you're actually capable of in that competition? Yeah, we have to, yes. Um, I think we, we started well and then we conceded those tries and it's always going to be hard to chase. And then in the second half, you show, we showed patches of what, what we want to do with the ball and how we want to play. And, but when you can see too many tries earlier on, it's always going to be too hard to, it's always going to be hard to chase um, chase the scoreline against a, co- a top side like that. But um, all credit to Japan, they're such a quality side, the way they play the ball, the way they hold it, and they're relentless in attack. So, um, um, yeah, all credit to them, they deserve the one. For something like 40, 45 minutes, you hardly saw the ball. That must have been a really, really tough period of the game. Yeah, like I said, they're, so, they're very good with the ball and how relentless they are, the speed, the contact, and defences were good at the times, but we just conceded too many tries. And, and uh, yeah, that's disappointing, and especially here uh, against, like I said, against a class side like that, the attackers they have, um, it's always going to be hard to come back into the game. A lot of tackling. Is it inevitable there's going to be the odd missed tackle in there? Uh, oh, that's what we, we, we pride ourselves on and how hard we work for each other. And there was a lot of work there. But it's, like I said, it's just disappointing when you look back and how we miss it, how we missed those tackles. But um, through large phases, like I said, the first ten minutes we scored. Um, it was all going to plan, and then conceded too many tries, and then we got back into it. And then with, with the last ten minutes, um, even going in at half time, there's still a belief there. Um, yeah, this maybe left it too hard, too many. Let too many tries in and then to have to chase the scoreline. Johnny Gray, maybe one of the players of the pool stages as an individual, but that doesn't take anything away from the pain that he's feeling as Scotland head home. And for a few final thoughts from the Scotland camp, I then turned to Sam Johnson, who had come into the team on such a high after his finish to the Six Nations, but had to accept that in the end, they simply didn't fulfil their own expectations. Our minimum standard was to was to get out of the groups. Uh, but credit, credit to Japan, they, they were clinical tonight uh, when they had their opportunities. And as a few times with us with our opportunities we, we probably weren't as uh, accurate as what we needed to be I mean the first 10 minutes of that first half and there was probably a 15 minute in that second half where we were really dominating uh, but their speed of ball uh, they use the short sides really well uh, and yeah they've, they've progressed it's good 21 points in a test you'd usually expect to win but there seems to be an awful lot of good defense but just two or three seconds when things didn't quite arrive yeah as I said they probably exploited you know with their speed of ball um, they're a team that when they get tackled if you're not if you're not hanging on to them they'll get back up and run again and release the ball and there's probably a few times where they sort of tighten us up a little bit and we're able to execute getting on the outside whether that was uh, on the short side or um, you know spreading the ball wide and finally is downbeat about the result just as he should be and also I suppose the game against Ireland at the beginning of the competition Sam Johnson is also pretty convinced that there is more good stuff to come I think Scottish rugby you know we'll, we'll take our medicine uh, you know it's not that long for the Six Nations eight weeks twelve weeks away so we'll obviously take our medicine now go back to our clubs try and perform uh, but Scottish rugby as a whole is in a good position uh, and there's some really good guys that weren't here in Japan at the moment there's some really good young guys coming through the academy system so uh, yeah obviously we're bitterly disappointed but you know the sun's going to shine tomorrow Scotland centre Sam Johnson still feeling gloomy, obviously enough, about everything that has gone on in the World Cup, particularly the way it started and the way it finished, but feeling that there is also light at the end of the tunnel. For a final word on what happened at the World Cup and what happens next, I turn to Stuart Hogg, who is one of those players in his late 20s now, who is going to have to turn up and be one of the leaders that takes the team up to its next World Cup and hopefully 
hopefully up to its next level. He himself, I think it is fair to say, had a frustrating World Cup. Things didn't really run for him. Teams seemed to know what to expect and they bottled him up effectively and he really couldn't find a way to uncork that bottle. So let's hope he gets a better run of it in the Six Nations and absorbs the lessons that he says they have learned in this competition. Now we've worked incredibly hard since the beginning of June to, to get to where we want to be and unfortunately we just came up uh, we came up short, we didn't perform uh, in a couple of games um, and, and ultimately we're going home a lot earlier than planned but look, this squad um, has the, the ability to turn this around uh, but as I said earlier we, we can't be in a position now to to get to this time next year and say we'll be better for this experience again because um, the biggest thing as a rugby player is that you learn and improve individually, collectively uh, and you've got to have a want and a desire to be better um, and, and if you've not got that then you're in the wrong place we've played in a few games when everything's gone our way and boys get a feeling that everything's easy um, and at times when we hit the nail on the head we're, we're flying, uh, we feel we're in a great place um, but such is life that things aren't going to go your way all the time and, and we've got to learn, we've got to to analyse things and, and um, make sure that we don't make the same mistakes because making a mistake is fine uh, compounding error on error and making the same mistakes the week after is, uh, as far as I'm concerned is unacceptable and you know, I'm guilty of that as well uh, as much as the next man so now the kids no matter what we say now nothing's going to change for us uh, we're going home um, and it's going to hurt for a few months but um the frustrating thing for the players who have been there and done so much is that they actually really came believing that they were capable of getting to the quarterfinals and challenging whoever they met there in the same way as they did four years ago. So it was a bitter, bitter blow to them to come up short, as Hogg explained. We truly believe we were coming here to achieve something special and, and we've came up short and, and we're going home a, a lot earlier than we had planned. So I think you've got to give a lot of credit to Japan, you know, we give we give them ball, cheap ball, coughed up a few times, um, and they capitalised on it. They, they took the chances, and because uh, as I said earlier, rugby's built on fine margins, and we cough up the ball, they get the ball, they, they chuck it wide, they score, um, and before we know it, we're under our own posts. So there's a lot of different things that, that went wrong for us. That again, you've got to give credit to, to Japan. Um, you know, fair play to them. So we'll, we'll be backing them now. Stuart Hogg throwing his weight behind Japan and bringing the first half of the programme to an end. I'll be back after the break with Japanese thoughts on their triumph. The Lineout with Lewis Stewart on Rock Sport Radio. Brought to you by Motorpoint Glasgow. Jet off to Rome next year to watch Italy v Scotland. Score two free tickets to the Six Nations at Motorpoint Glasgow. Just two minutes from Junction 3 off the M74. Thursdays at 8pm, F1, Rally, Formula E, Touring Cars and MotoGP. The motorsport season is well and truly underway and Rock Sport Radio is already spinning wheels and burning rubber. Andy Alston and Adam Todd are on the starting grid every Thursday from 8pm to bring you news and comments on pole position. A petrol head's dream. Try a lap or two with the guys. Pole position on Rock Sport Radio. Do you hear that? That's your family coming round to your new house for Sunday lunch. Your son opening the door of his first home. Visitors arriving at your guest house. Friends coming over to watch the football. Scottish Building Society offer a range of mortgages, so we can turn this into this. Hello! Scottish Building Society. We've been helping people open doors since 1848. Call us today on 0345 600 4085. Scottish Building Society is authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority. William, Pamela and Anthony were sold investments by banks and ended up losing money. Luckily, they contacted Goodwin Barrett and were able to claim back a total of £65,500. If you've lost money on an investment sold by a bank or financial advisor, even if you no longer have the investment or the paperwork, Goodwin Barrett could help. Discover how much you could be owed. Text GOOD to 6677. Text GOOD to 6677 now. It's easy to put things off. I'll sort it tomorrow. It'll wait. Well, turns out if you're a man with prostate disease, the sooner you spot it, the better it can often be treated. So if your dad or brother have had prostate cancer... 
or you're having trouble with your waterworks, do something about it. See your GP or visit prostatescotland.org.uk for more information. Prostate Scotland. Pull your finger out. Love music. Live sport. The Line Out with Lewis Stewart on Rock Sport Radio. So welcome back to part two of the programme. And this is going to start with a look at the Japanese reaction to their fantastic achievement in getting through to the quarterfinals for the first time in their history. It's not quite fair to point out that that it is only 15 years since Scotland scored 100 points against a Japan side at Perth. There were circumstances surrounding that game which meant that it was not really an international team that Scotland were playing thanks to disputes going on in Japan itself. But nevertheless, Scotland's record against Japan has been of seven wins in the seven previous games that they have played. And really, of those seven, there was only one that was close. Although, that was the last time they played before the World Cup in 2016 in Tokyo Stadium. And Japan really should have won that game. But they were outkicked by Greg Laidlaw on the day. It should have been, and probably was, a warning sign for Scotland going into this match. And if they needed any other geeing up, they only had to think back to Japan's previous World Cup when they beat South Africa in Brighton, the so-called miracle in Brighton. Uh, they also beat the USA and Samoa, uh, but lost to Scotland four days after they had played that South Africa game, which they always claimed was ridiculously unfair. So things have been building towards this for quite some time and when the competition in their own backyard came round the Japanese team were ready for it. Afterwards, I managed to catch a very quick word with Ryota Nakamura, the Japan centre, who explained to me exactly what this victory means, not just to the team, but to the population of the country as a whole. Now, he only speaks Japanese, I don't, so I did manage to find somebody to interpret for me. We managed to change the history of the Japanese rugby and also it's a, a Japanese sport. It's something the Japanese national team has never done before. So it's quite a big uh, impact to the Japanese uh, sports as a whole as well. So that he wished that all the kids uh, started to want, um, he wants all the kids want to think that they start playing rugby after watching this performance. And also the, all, the, all the prayer for the, the people who suffered from the typhoon. Now, the voice that you heard there during the interpreting was a friend, Satoshi Takehana, who writes for the rugby magazine. And as you heard, speaks pretty nearly perfect English. So he was actually a better person to explain to me how important the win and the quarterfinal was to Japan. Yeah, it's uh, for the Japanese rugby. Obviously, it's a big. So the uh, changing the history is something we we have been trying to do since uh, uh, actually last World Cup as well. One thing Eddie Jones was uh, trying to say all the time was that mantra is change the history, change the history. So we managed to change the history out of beating South Africa last time, but we couldn't make it to the uh, quarterfinal. But this time we somehow managed to make it to the quarterfinal. So that's a totally change the history now. And it's big, big day for Japan. We've been talking a bit about the typhoon and the deaths from the typhoon as well. But something like this must lift the mood across the nation. Yeah, definitely. So, the, you know, the, the stadium in Kamaishi, cause that area itself it, it, it has suffered a lot uh, by the, uh, the tsunami uh, several years ago. So that uh, uh, rugby is one thing to uh, recover and also re-energize, rebuild the society of that Kamaishi. So that's, that's what it was uh, for that Kamaishi Stadium. And also uh, this time rugby, so that was devastating uh, disaster for the certain areas in Japan. But you know, hopefully this uh, big victory is going to lift the uh, you know, mood of those people who suffered. 
So you've got South Africa next. How far can you go in this competition? This is, it's, it's, no one could imagine this, this would happen, but that's, even I didn't see that. that it's such a big box office uh, game, isn't it? The Japan versus South Africa. So we lost badly uh, against South Africa for the warm-up game for a few months ago. But, you know, it's, we are on the form side, so let's see what happens. Toshi Takahana on the delight that's being felt in Japan over their achievement. But to help me now understand all of what has gone on in the last week, including the typhoon, the blarney between Scottish rugby and world rugby, the game itself and where this now leaves Scottish rugby and Gregor Townsend going into the future. I have with me Rob Robertson from the Daily Mail, who's been out in Japan for the whole time that I have and has seen everything that I have seen. So we were able to make this more of a discussion with our joint memories of the match itself. The Lineout with Lewis Stewart on Rock Sport Radio. Brought to you by Motorpoint Glasgow. Convert your rugby skills into two free tickets to the Six Nations in Rome. Visit Motorpoint Glasgow today and take part in their conversion challenge. Just two minutes from Junction 3 at the M74. It was an incredible experience for you and I to uh, enjoy. Uh, and, and to be fair, I know Scotland got beat with us. But it was one of these rugby experiences that you really just have to say we had to enjoy. It was just an amazing evening, as you probably agree. And in a way, I think that's maybe how a lot of people have taken their eye off the ball when it comes to Scotland going out, because it was such a great occasion. A lot of people have just been taken taken in by all of that. I think over the next few days, it'll be the, in the cold light day, it'll become real, the realisation that you know, they're away, they've gone home, uh, and it was a bad, bad World Cup for Scotland. But the same token for Japan, wow. What, what an occasion, what an occasion for world rugby. Can't take that away from them either. No, it was. And let's just start off with the the whole business that the uh, the on-off nature of the game, the typhoon that blew through the night before. We now know that there are 60-something people who've died as a result of that typhoon, so it wasn't a false alarm in any shape or form. Uh, they did a miraculous job to get that game on at all, didn't they? Oh, incredible, incredible. There's talk of people sleeping in the, um, the stadium just to make sure everything is okay. Uh, when you and I walked up to it yesterday, it was like it never had happened. The place was looking great. Uh, it was incredible. The whole, the whole, the whole set was amazing. But as you say, it was incredible that they, they, they managed to get it on. And it kind of makes the SRU, which is maybe something we'll come on to later, look a bit silly. Uh, by you know holding a press conference to say this must go on on the Monday if it comes to it. Gregor Townsend told you and I all the way through that he was confident this was going on, always said that this was going to happen. And he was right. He was absolutely spot on. But for some reason, Mark Dodson didn't think he would uh, and held the press conference. So it was a great, great attempt by them to get it on. I'm very pleased it did. Yeah, I must admit, although Gregor said it and uh, Mark Dodson went off on one of his uh, flurries, that uh, all the Japanese were telling me it was going to be on, partly because that stadium is built specifically to cope with this sort of thing. That's part of the reason the stadium is where it is, it's got the design it is, it's up on stilts in order to keep away from the water and all the rest of it. So they were not the least bit surprised. They said, of course it's going to be on. Yeah, I remember you and I speaking to them and they were very chilled early on by saying, oh, well, this is going to happen, don't worry about it, it'll be fine. It was incredible, absolutely incredible that um, they were so relaxed about it and we were so up to high do. But I think we've actually we got in that situation because of partly because of Mark Dodson's suggestions that this game had to go on and might have to be back to the Monday. So I think that's kind of... Everybody was on edge partly because of that. The dramatic effect created by the SRU uh, created that sort of that feeling that something might go wrong here. Uh, so the fact that they got it on with no distractions, no problems, no anything is, is testament to the people of Japan more than anything else. Absolutely. And while we're on the subject of Mark Dodson, you'll have seen today's uh, breaking news that the uh, World Rugby have set up a disputes uh, commission to examine all those comments. Uh, are we in trouble? Yeah, probably. I, th- I think we probably are. They were a wee bit looking at them, you know, collateral damage. It was a very unfortunate phrase in a tycoon that, that killed over 20 people, 23, 24 people. Um, you know, it was just a rugby game. And really, I'm not quite sure, maybe you could enlighten me, what they were actually trying to achieve, because they, they were never. it was never going to happen on the, on the Monday. Uh, and the fact that it went ahead on the Sunday as planned, <laughs> it did make them a, bit, a wee bit look silly, to be honest. 
Yeah, and it made them a bit of a laughing stock. Certainly, I've heard a lot of people making jokes at the SRU's expense of, you know, uh, along the lines of, you know, they're going to now sue the World Rugby for actually letting the game go ahead yes. and things like that. <laughs> yeah, I can see that, so, that argument as well, definitely. Yeah, so, I mean, in the end, they accomplished nothing, but the, the only thing is that... I mean, Mark Dodson in the press conference, you and I were both there, uh, he did quite frequently come say, you know, I'm not trying to rile world rugby, I'm just looking for a common sense solution. Yes, and yes. the more inflammatory comments were ones that came in the press, mostly back in the UK, yeah, from exactly, a spokesman. Yeah. yeah, well, exactly. That, that was a, a bad mistake. They could have left it all to Matt Dodson to make the views rather than put it back to this anonymous spokesman who made some very strong and and very strange accusations that a lot of which the SIU have since denied. For instance, the, the spokesman claimed they were going to sue the SIU have since denied that was ever the case. But it really does make you think, well, you know, they should really get their act together to see a see what's actually going to happen. And whoever was speaking back in the UK, I mean, pointing fingers at Ireland, pointing fingers at New Zealand, you know, if we keep going like that, we're not going to have a friend in the world. Well, exactly, exactly. I, th I think that's the, the key thing. They really they haven't done themselves any favours with, with the, this sort of outburst. And it does make them look very, very silly. And at a time as well that <laughs> you're out the World Cup and, you know, there's emerging nations coming through. As you say, they need every help and every friend that they can get. The rugby itself was fantastic. The way the Japanese played rugby with such exuberance and such style and speed and skill and everything else was just a joy to behold. And if it hadn't been Scotland on the receiving end, we'd have been absolutely cheering them as well. Well, also as well, I mean, Gregor Townsend is a big player of being the fastest rugby in the world. I mean, Japan played the fastest rugby in the world in that match. They were all over the place. They were magnificent. Absolutely, it was a joy to watch. I mean, some of these games I was kind of, during the game I was kind of forgetting I should be hoping Scotland could would win. I was just watching it so much and loving it. And one of the J Japanese try under the post was just out of this world. It was just an incredible performance on an incredible night for rugby and an incredible night for Japan. Yes, and you look at two of their tries coming from absolutely, I mean, one, what, four sublime offloads to make, uh, to put the prop over under the post. I suppose there was only one for the opening try, but nevertheless, yeah. it was a beautiful offload, uh, you know, as he was going down in the tackle. One from that delightful little chip over the top of the Scotland backs that uh, they executed perfectly, and one that I suppose you, you, you've got to quibble with, because they really shouldn't have been able to strip the ball from a Scottish player. But no. uh, three of those tries were just fantastic. Scores. Oh, they were great. As you said, Chris Harris got stripped. The other three were magnificent tries. But uh, you're right. I mean, a lot of the attacks were coming down Darcy Graham's wing. Obviously, saw him as a, uh, a maybe a weak link. But the, the, the try under the posts w was one that lived with me for a long time. Uh, even at the time, I was clapping it when really I should have been uh, typing and, and saying what, what was actually happening. It was just it was just one of these special moments of rugby that it was a privilege to be there, regardless who I supported. Yeah, and also just. The atmosphere there. Did the did the crowd ever stop yelling and shouting and clapping? And I, I don't remember a milliseconds of silence in that. It was an amazing atmosphere. The only, the only silence was during the Scottish national anthem and the one minute silence. Everything else between that, it was just incredible, absolutely incredible. It was just one of these nights that the Japanese, the the sixteenth man, really, they, they kept them going, especially at the end when I thought. Scotland could win this. They could come back here and win this. Uh, and it was just so close, so, so close uh, near the end. But I think the fans cheered on, uh, inspired Japanese players to just go that one step further and, and do what they did. Yeah, they did what they'd done so often. They got involved in the game and inspired Japan in that sort of final 10 minutes to find the extra little bit of energy they needed to hold out. And if you think about it, it didn't really matter by then because even if we crept a point ahead of Japan, then two bonus points would have been more than enough to put them through. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, we were out of the game, but it'd be nice to have won take the edge a wee bit off it or get closer or draw we probably what we're looking at but to, to you know to be to be beaten the first in our final game you know it wasn't you know it, the cold light of day it'll look dreadful to lose to Ireland and lose to Japan and go home early but just now I still think we're a bit caught up in that euphoria of the moment and the cold hard thinking is just sitting in now should Townsend stay should Townsend go to be honest, I, I think he should stay. I think he'll probably get to the Six Nations anyway, whatever we think. And it's after the Six Nations, I think, 
there'll be a big call. He's told you and me that he wants to stay uh, and he'll see out his contract in the summer of 2021. He also told you and I, quite rightly, it could be out his, with his, his control, it could be Matt Dodson who makes the final decision. But I think at least he'll get the Six Nations. So where does it leave Scotland? We're second time in three World Cups we failed to make the quarterfinals. Do we now have to just accept that we are a team that is going to be struggling in that on a good year we get second, on a bad year we get third in the pool, and that's where we just that's where we are. No, I think when it happened before in 2011, Argentina were coming through, so we caught one of the golden teams early on there. This year, we have had the host nation who are improving all the time, who didn't have any four-day turnarounds, who had everything in their favour. I think this. I'm not saying it's going to be a one-off, but we were the unfortunate team to have Japan in our group. I think Ireland or Wales, well, Ireland, beaten them by as well, beaten by them as well, which shows it all. We were one of the unlucky teams to be in the group with Japan, so that that's made the big difference to me. Uh, the fact we got the host nations. So I, I don't think it's at the beginning of the end. I just hope a draw in the next World Cup's a bit better. <laughs> and from Gregor Townsend's point of view, does he have to get some sort of performance, some sort of result out of the Six Nations to hold on to his job uh, in the certainly medium term? Well, absolutely. I mean, he has to do well in the Six Nations um, because if he doesn't, I think he could be out the door after that. But I think he will get the Six Nations and I, and I think he might do OK in that. And I think that could maybe save him a bit. But the pressure's on now, no question. Quite pressure, huge pressure on Gregor Townsend now. He really has to turn turn things around and, and make things happen for Scotland before it's too late. Because he's had a kind of extended honeymoon. I mean, you forget that. You know, I was just thinking he's been there now for two years, and there have been some great performances and some great results in there. But consistency has always been an issue, and he doesn't seem to have found a secret to that. And he doesn't seem to have found a secret to the away day blues that we've got, the sort of things that produced that performance in Nice, the performances in Cardiff that we've had recently, uh, the hammerings we've taken in Dublin, and I know they came back in Twickenham, uh, but nevertheless that first half was awful. That uh, The consistency's still not into in that team, and does he therefore need to rethink his approach? Does he need different assistance? To does he need somebody who alongside him who can bark orders rather than uh, cajole players to do better? I think that's spot on, Lewis. I remember when Frank Haddon was in charge and he threw his two assistants, Alan Tate and George Graham, to the Wolves, partly to save his job. And I think that is what you're going to see. I, th I think Gregor Townsend will bring in new assistants at some stage just to try and freshen things up. And I think that is. Um, the only way he can really hold on to his job in the long term. Things can't continue as they are. One final thing before we go. Is it the changing of the guard? Do you think, are we going to lose the likes of Greg Laidlaw, uh, Tommy Seymour, uh, possibly WP, you know, those that 30-plus brigade, and really start chucking the youngsters in to get the next World Cup, so they 40-50 caps when the World Cup kicks off? Yeah, you're spot on. The one I would argue with, maybe not Nell, but I put Barclay in there as well. I think oh, Barclay yeah. as well. So I, I, I think, yes, I think it's a changing the guard moment. Barclay, Greg Laidlaw for me are the two that will go, maybe Ryan Wilson as well. But I think WP uh, has got a wee bit left in him yet. And on that note, Rob had to rush off to catch his plane back to Scotland. And I will be following him pretty soon. So come next week's edition of The Line Out, I will be back in my normal seat in Glasgow to bring you the programme from Scotland. And like the rest of you, will be watching the rest of the World Cup on television now that Scotland have gone out of the competition in what was a pretty bleak and dark day for the current team, players and coaches and the 10,000 or so fans that the SRU reckon have made their way out here to support them. In the meantime, the clock has beaten me yet again and it's time to wrap up this programme and so I will see you all next week from Glasgow. Good night. The Line Out with Lewis Stewart on Rock Sport Radio. Brought to you by Motorpoint Glasgow. Just get the ball over the post at Motorpoint Glasgow's Conversion Challenge to win two tickets to the Six Nations. Find them just two minutes from Junction 3 off the M74.
Love music. Live sport. The Line Out with Lewis Stewart on Rock Sport Radio.